please stand with me if you're able to and turn to Matthew chapter 28. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so, Father, we pray that you would please help us today. Help us to understand this a little bit better today, Lord. We ask for you to help unpack this, Lord, anoint this time. Open up our understanding of your holy word. Father, help us to see of your plan for each and every one of us. We know that you're not a deadbeat dad. We know that you don't just birth a child and leave that child alone. But you birth us anew. You give us a new life in Christ. And you also want us to grow. Even as Peter wrote in Second Peter 3.18 at the end of his life. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You want us to grow. You want us to mature. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to see your plan for each and every one of our lives in Christ and your plan even for this church for we ask in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat if you would. So as I was pondering this, <laughs> I uh, wanted to show you guys this. Some of you guys have seen this. This was 15 years ago. We were actually only in that side in this building. And Daily News asked us, what's your proudest moment? This is, this is us. At that time, we were called At the Cross Christian Church. Some of you guys remember. I think Andy, you're with us at that time. There's like a handful of us. And Wendy's in that picture. She's still with us. Praise God for these things. Well, Andy, actually, I think your mom was in the picture too. So here's what we told them. Our proudest moment is when we get to see our new believers get baptized. Our congregants invest so much in each other's lives that it's extremely rewarding to see people grow in their Christian faith. So that was 15 years ago in the Daily News. That was July 6, 2008. This is a, just a scan of the uh, paper clipping. But that's still true today. Still true today that we love doing baptism. So pray for those that are going to be baptized today. Pray for those that God's maybe touching our heart. And they're just waiting for, I don't know, maybe a nudge of the Spirit. Don't know. But praise God that we still get to baptize believers today. And the passage that you and I looked at and just read in Matthew 28, it helps to answer why we do it and what we do. So we're going to look at this a little bit. Baptism is part of your discipleship process. Again, if you have the paper, you'll see that here. It's two-sided. We're going to mostly go over the things on the first side of the page but baptism is part of your discipleship process so what you see on the display here is what jesus said that we just read this is a great commission have any of you guys heard of the great commission who's heard of the great commission this is the great commission it comes from jesus as quoted by matthew levite he writes at the end of his book as we just read matthew 28 so he authorizes the church to do something notice what it says he authorizes the church to do what? Make disciples. Okay. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So there's no greater authority than what, and who he is and what he's been given. 
And he takes this authority, and what does he do? He authorizes the church. He's passing on this authorization to the disciples. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, before his ascension, as Matthew records. As if he sums up his whole book by saying, here's the most important thing. As you get this far in this book, here's what you got to remember. That Jesus authorizes and commands the church to do what? He says, make disciples. So the authority is specifically and solely to make disciples. That's important. Now, what we see in America was Satan's done, sadly. He's always trying to take God's plan and his promises and God's will and tries to twist it up. Any of you guys know that? He's always trying to do that. So here's what happens. We take this in church and we think that Jesus is given authority or what we need to endeavor to do is not make disciples, but make members. And then churches go, ooh, look, that's successful. Must be God. They have a, a whole stadium full of people. It, maybe that person that called themselves a pastor is not even saved. But they're a good speaker. They're a polished professional speaking with nice words, dressed really nice. And maybe all they're caring about is not making disciples, followers of Jesus, but making members. Actually, a lot of us in America might be guilty of that. Or making money. That's very common. How many of you guys know all throughout New York City, you can find churches that this Sunday morning, they're preaching about money, money, money. One guy who actually fell, who leads a big network, who they had a plant over here in Manhattan, who that pastor actually fell. That person wrote a book. Guess what the title of that book is called? And I brought it here once to show the servants. You need more money. It's actually the title of the book. <laughs> so not hard to tell what that supposed pastor uh, their emphasis, their focus was. And what they would proliferate through their network, including a lot of the music. What was it about? Money, sadly. So that's not the Great Commission. It's to make disciples, not to make members, not to make money, or even mega churches. So a lot of people think, oh, look, game over, you win. Look, you got the biggest church in the world. There was one, there was a guy in Korea, had the biggest church in the world. Guess what happened to that guy? He was also about making money. That person fell. I think they're in prison now. And which could be the case. I'm not sure. You can look up on that. So don't look at the size of the amount of people. How many main followers did Christ Jesus have before he went to the cross? Twelve. One of them fell. <laughs> Who was that? Judas Iscariot. And later on, one of them, Paul the Apostle, got added on. Not quite a mega church. You're talking twelve people, right? So maybe our focus needs to be not the quantity of people, but the quality right? The depth. And so we got to be careful of that, including in this church. So pray for us. Also, in this great commission, he calls us to make disciples, but a disciple, it's a learner. A disciple is a follower. If you look at the original word, these are two of the main definitions you get. A disciple is a, a learner of the Lord. They're a follower of Jesus. Remember the two pesky little words that Jesus said to his disciples when he went and called them? He picked them out and he said two words. Follow me. Is he saying the same thing today? Yeah. How many of you know that Jesus has been speaking? Oh, look at that. Raise your hands. Come on. Don't. <laughs> Raise your hand if I. You know that Jesus is asking you to follow him, right? It's not me. I could just be a physical voice to what the inaudible voice of the Spirit is saying to you. He's asking you to follow him. So disciples, notice they're made. They're made. <laughs> There's a bunch of mommies and daddies here, right? You know... You had to do a lot of cleanup work when you had a baby. Mommies and daddies. How many diapers do you think per child? 
guesses? Thousands. thousands. That's what my wife said too. Maybe thousands. Isn't that crazy to think? Crazy, crazy to think, right? And so when you have a child, it's all about food. You go to the doctor and they're at, they weigh the baby. They measure the baby. How are they eating? Like crazy. And I remember going and listening and, and hearing the reports like, it's just like the Bible. It's all about food. So church, ladies and gentlemen, children of God, raise up your sword, would you? This is your spiritual food. <laughs> your e-sword, if you have. Your spiritual food. So when Jesus is trying to get you to follow him, this is your only source of spiritual food. You need to know that. He's trying to get you to be his follower, his learner, his disciple. He's telling you, whispering to your heart, follow me, is what he's saying. And grow in his ways, grow in his grace. He's given you his word. So he wants you to be his disciple. But just like an earthly baby, they don't naturally just wake up and change their diapers on their own, do they, mommies? They don't just eat on their own, do they? How long would you venture to guess that they could last without food from the parent? <laughs> Was it four hours? <laughs> After a couple hours, you might hear them do what? <laughs> How many of you remember that time? How many of you mommies missed that time? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> Some of you, you got a fear of terror. <laughs> So sometimes when you hear someone screaming out in the flesh, even a Christian, you know what I hear? The spiritual side. Feed me. I'm hungry for the Bible. I haven't spent time with Jesus. It might help you to have grace. Helps me to have grace. Or else in the flesh, you might just rip into someone. Be quiet, etc. What I hear is, I'm hungry for the Bible. I'm hungry for God's word. I haven't been fed. I don't know how to feed myself. It's a baby that's still there on the curb, hasn't been adopted. Okay? God's trying to, but he's trying to use you and I to do it, to make disciples. So people don't naturally and automatically follow Jesus. Matthew Levi understood that. How many years did Jesus spend with Matthew Levi before he can quote him at the end of his book? Three years, almost 24-7, right? Pretty much. Three years, think about that. Three years. So people need to be taught how to be followers of Jesus. So Jesus told Matthew Levi, make disciples. Do you think the first recipient audience, meaning Matthew Levi and the other disciples, do you think they understood that? And when you do biblical interpretation, you have to look at the first recipient audience. Who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? Why? That gives you the context of what's going on. He understood this. He's like, oh, i got to quote that in my book. It's good stuff. <laughs> he summarizes his book at the very end. The most important thing, the last command of Christ, make disciples. The command wasn't to go. It was to make disciples. So when Jesus said, make disciples, you need to know. You can look this up. Blue or Bible it. Or use your Bible study software. When he said go, at least how we translate it out of the Greek into English in your Bible, go is not a command. But how many of us are action-oriented? Raise your hand if that's you. A lot of us are. Not all people are. How many, how many of you guys are action-oriented? Like you work with your hands. You want to, like it makes sense if you just go and do stuff. Many of us, not all of us in humanity, but many of us, we focus on that where we see go and what do we do. We want to run. <laughs> okay, I'll go do it. What, what do I do? Grab a hammer. Let's just go. But that's not the context. And many of us, including myself, could be guilty of that. So he said, go and do what? Make disciples. In the original language, the command 
In Greek, it's called an imperative. The command is not go. The command is make disciples. So as you go, you're commanded to do what? Make disciples. So the focus is not be a missionary and go. And that's a problem that we've had in missions. I came from a missions group. That was our problem. It's hardly discussed. Missionaries understood that. They'd go out in the field, they'd come back. Why'd you get sent back home? Some would say, well, they've never been taught how to die. <laughs> thought that, like, die to self, die to the flesh. I just, I heard go. <laughs> and they go. They got sent out. And then what happens? They, they don't know how to follow Jesus. They don't know how to hear from the Lord. They don't know how to do their own Bible study and feed others. So what can happen? They're just not empowered by the Spirit. They're walking in the strength of their what? Flesh. And they get sent back home. That happens with missionaries sometimes. So the command here is the first, be a disciple and then make disciples. Make sense? Okay. Not just to go and you're like, yeah, and everybody will, will say, well, you'll figure it out as you go. It's like, but I don't know what to do. And then people get sent back as missionaries. I was on that sending and receiving side sometimes. It was kind of sad and people came back. So make disciples is what Jesus commands his disciples to do, including you and I. That's the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. Jesus authorizes the church to make disciples. Not even to go. But as you go, as you serve the Lord, as you go wherever he's having you, whether Queens or Brooklyn or beyond, you're to make disciples wherever you are, wherever he sends you. So it's a command. And the problem with this today, including in some missions organizations I used to kind of be involved with, that without proper Bible teaching, the command is always to push people out the door. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Maybe some of you guys do. Okay. But the focus might be on the word go, and it'll make sense to action-oriented people. But to someone that's trained at the feet of Christ, they'll look this up in the, the word and then be challenged by the spirit because they're hearing correctly from the lord's like no i gotta first be discipled like matthew levi spending three years with them i'm not saying you gotta take three years it's not a calendar thing but first be discipled and then make disciples make sense first get saved and help others get saved make sense first read the bible and teach the bible make sense that's the the ways of god these principles are first in you Second, through you. First, in you. Second, through you. First, you've been forgiven. And second, what does God tell you to now do? Hard for you guys to say, right? <laughs> I'm I got to forgive everybody. <laughs> that was hard for me. So you've been forgiven, and now he commands you. find it, and I think it's Ephesians as well as Colossians. He commands you and I now to do what? To forgive others. He's now giving you his love. And what does he now command you in John 13? Second, love, okay? He encourages you, and now what does he second tell you and command you to do? Encourage others. So first, in you. Second, through you. Okay, so uh, as I put it here on the slide, on the display, this could lead to an overemphasis upon the activity instead of maturity. And that's the world I came from where it's like we're all about go, 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 do, do this, do that. But someone like John Corson would say, I kind of, appreciate how he might say it even with his funny inflection but if your world is all about do 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 what does that lead to a whole bunch of you know what <laughs> right it's <laughs> just a life in the flesh but not empowered by the spirit and this is these are some of the reasons why we have problems that exist in the church world today why first we might not be having good and proper bible study 
And second, because if you don't have a correct interpretation of the word, you're not going to have a correct application. Make sense? You need to first have a correct interpretation of what God has said so that you can have a proper application of what he's commanding you and I to do. So notice how you make disciples. After saying, making disciples as a command, he tells you how to do it. Imagine that. Look what he says. He says, baptizing them. So baptizing them, that's the first step typically seen by someone that's following Jesus, that they want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. They want to commit him to not just be the savior for their sins, but as the Lord of their lives and doing it publicly. Baptizing is seen as the first step seen usually to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples. So we want to be able to, even as it says on the, the paper here, we want to baptize out of obedience to Christ's command. And the person being baptized, the baptism candidate, as we might say, is obeying Christ's command to do what? To be baptized. Uh, by the way, can a baby decide upon its own to be a follower of Jesus? Can a baby? No. Does it make sense then to baptize babies? No. So then why do people baptize babies? Because of Satan. Let me just tell you, because of Satan. It gets very confusing then if you talk to someone that says, oh, I've been baptized already as a baby. I've been christened as a, as a baby. <laughs> and then you might go to someone's funeral where the priest might say, that's okay, they're in the arms of Jesus. I baptize her or him as a baby. You're like, wow, that is very scary heresy. So did Christ ever baptize babies? No. Did John the Baptist ever baptize babies even, for that matter? No. Did he ever command anybody in the New Testament to baptize babies? No. So why did the church do that? Because of Satan. Please understand that. Okay? <laughs> Just cut to the chase and tell you what it is. That's, that's, a, that's demonic. That's a man-made doctrine. Okay? So we're not Presbyterian. We don't baptize babies. We're not, certainly not Roman Catholic. We don't baptize babies. We don't believe baptism is required for salvation like some Lutherans do, which is a heresy as well. Not all, but some Lutherans might believe, as well as others, Church of Christ, others that might be considered cultish, will say, you must be baptized in order to be saved. That is not biblical. So baptism doesn't get you saved. Baptism is for the saved. Amen? So let's, let's read and know our Bibles. So baptism is seen as typically the first step so Jesus tells us how we make disciples. He tells us how. He says, baptizing them in the name. Notice he says here in verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Oh, on the wrong slide. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why do we baptize? Because Jesus Christ commands us to. Make sense? He commands us to. And the command isn't to be baptizing them. The, ba the command is to make disciples. Therefore, he tells us how. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that's it. And so we go now to the next slide. And this will be brief here. We're almost done. But baptism is a symbol of death. Can you turn with me if you would? You'll see it on your paper there. Colossians chapter 2 in the New Testament. If you're in Matthew, make a right turn. Go into Paul's letters, also known as Paul's epistles. Go to Colossians chapter 2. 
We're going to pick up at verse 11. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse, verse 12 says, Buried with Him in baptism. Listen to that again. Buried with Him in baptism. I'm going to say it a third time. Buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with him. I'm going to say that one again. In which you were, you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So buried with him in baptism. Picture, if you will, the tomb of Jesus Christ. And also picture that you've been thrown in the tomb as he was placed in the tomb alongside his body. I'm not saying that's where you'll be. A picture your funeral, if you will. It's a death to the flesh. Baptism, again, is a symbol of death. Now, how many of you guys know that in your spiritual warfare that you'll go through, I'm talking about the internal warfare, your flesh versus God's spirit, even just to get here or to read the Bible or to go through baptism or to serve God, any of these big steps of faith that you got to do, you know that your faith is just pulling at you, tempting you. Any of you guys know that? So this is good for the Christian to know, especially new Christians, because if you can't get past this through the power of Christ and the informing of what His Word says, then many of us do what I remember my first years walking with God was. It's just I had a prayer life. It was all repentance. Forgive me, God. And backslide. Forgive me, God. It was like forward, reverse, forward, reverse, forward, reverse. Prayer life was all about repentance and confession of sin. Nothing wrong with that, but I had no forward momentum. Why? I didn't know that I needed to declare my flesh dead. And it, that puppy dead. <laughs> that is buried with him in baptism. This might help somebody here. This helped me and freed me when I read the word. So it says buried with him in baptism. So picture that. You've been thrown in the tube alongside his body. Why? Because you died. Because you did. But your flesh doesn't want you to think that. Even for today's baptism. Or gosh, maybe waking up and be able to come in to learn and get fed God's word. Or to wake up and to read the Bible. Or spend time with the Lord. How many of you guys know that your flesh is pulling at you? Your flesh is telling you, do anything else but get close to Christ. Is that any of you guys? Okay. <laughs> you like you get dead relatives that seem to come back to life. They start inviting, yo, the party's going on. I had that happen, man. And I was a, an old DJ. I'm like, no. Uh, you, you sit there, you're talking to someone. You definitely know. I ain't hanging out with you, man. <laughs> you can get me in trouble. <laughs> that can happen. Why? Because you're flesh. Because Satan knows exactly how to get you back. Satan wants us back. He ain't going to have us back. So here's what we need to do. And I'll, I'll leave it on this slide here as we wind down. So Christian, you need to know you've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
You and I need to identify with the fact, not just the cross of Christ, yes, I accept your sacrifice. No, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. And you might say the I must die. I'm not talking about the physical I. What's the middle letter of pride? I. How many of you know that you're the problem in your spiritual warfare? Not <laughs> I, I, me. <laughs> and I'm talking about you. You're the old one. The, the, you, in, not in Christ, but in Adam. You are a new creation in Christ. Again, like the butterfly. So the old you, you have to know, and you need to pray to God and be discipled in His ways. I need to be considered crucified with Christ. I'm, I'm no longer alive. I, I need to be, as you might say, I remember hearing this in my early years, uh, uh, days and, and years walking with the Lord in California. Consider yourself a dead walking man. <laughs> dead man walking. Dead woman walking. And I'm not saying to be a zombie, oh, I follow Jesus. <laughs> not that. What I'm saying is that you no longer have a will. And just for me to say that, that triggers a lot of people, doesn't it? What do you mean my goals, my dreams? I spent tens of thousands of dollars on this degree or whatever. But are you willing for Jesus to be Lord of everything, including your goals, your dreams? Someone like Greg Laurie will say, either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I've learned throughout the years there's a lot of truth to a simple statement like that. Okay, so consider yourself crucified with Christ. And beyond that, what happened after the crucifixion? Buried. Colossians 2.12 that we read. Buried with him in baptism. So baptism is a picture of going under the water like, like it's a funeral. You're saying bye-bye. Bye-bye to the flesh. Amen? How many of us know Like that's what you need to do and remind yourself? That's why it's good. A baby can't even do that. Even if you were to do that, oh, let me put you under the water. You, we're going to take a lot of photos because you're never going to remember this because you're only two months old or however old. And so we'll remind you. No, there's no personal benefit to that. And there's, there's no way a child can assent to that to say, I'm a sinner. I need to repent for my sins and be a follower of Jesus and help me. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, Send your spirit, the helper, the comforter, because my flesh is trying to get me to go back to my old ways. No, you've been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. You're buried with him in baptism, that's Colossians 2.12. And you need to consider that you're raised with him through faith. Buried, or I say crucified, buried, and resurrected. Okay, so Christians have been crucified with Christ, buried, and resurrected. And verse 13, continuing on in Colossians 2. So we wind down the close here. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That word for forgiven can mean to give graciously or give freely or to give favor. God has given you much grace in the form of what we call forgiveness. Heavenly Father gives you this forgiveness as a showing of His grace. Verse 14 says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The word for wiped out there, in Colossians 2 verse 14, wiped out speaks of to wipe off or wipe away. 
let's just look at it in a simplistic way. Your sins, all those things, those trespasses, those sins against God and against other people, it doesn't matter what you've done or however many, it's all been wiped away. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen for that. Now check this out. Verse 15, after having nailed it to the cross, verse 15, Colossians 2, verse 15. You might get a kick out of this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Yo, when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do for your sins? He disarmed principalities and powers. Satan was disarmed. You need to know that. So sometimes, you know, oh, Satan's been on my back. I just, well, am I going to follow Satan today or follow Jesus today? Well, you've got to know. The enemy has been defeated at the cross of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. He disarmed principalities and powers. So Satan and sin no longer have any rule over your life. If you were worshiping money before, money was your God, money was your Lord, that was me, that was my past. That's no longer your God, that's no longer your Lord. So Jesus is now Lord. Or maybe it's sexual immorality or fleshy temptations like drugs and alcohol and partying. That used to be my whole life too. Or, or pride, I'm like who I am and what I can do. That's all dead and gone. So now Jesus wants to be Lord. So... If he's a Lord of your life and he wants to be Lord of all, baptism's your first step, typically, at publicly proclaiming Jesus as your Lord. And furthermore, notice this. I know that's like, I keep saying we're going to close. This is the last thing here because it's now. It's just about 11.45. It says Jesus made a public spectacle of them. A public spectacle of them. You know what I think of? I think of like in football when someone makes a touchdown and they do the touchdown dance. What do they do? <laughs> they might spike the ball and like, ooh, you know, <laughs> a public spectacle. <laughs> now it doesn't say football, a victory dance, but it's to celebrate the accomplishment and the victory. <laughs> so I just, in my crazy mind, I'm thinking, it's like Jesus does the victory dance. I'm not saying that's what it says. But he's, made a public spectacle of them. He wants to make a public spectacle of the fact that Satan is no longer in control of your life. Will you allow Jesus to make a public spectacle out of your life, where your life can show the world, Jesus has this person's life, no longer Satan having control. And it's like he does a victory dance through your life. Does that make sense? He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. So we're going to go ahead and close. Can we stand, please? You guys can read the rest of the paper, whether the front or the back of it. But I'm just going to close this with a word of prayer, and then we're going to head on out down south. Please continue to keep uh, those that are going to be baptized in prayer. We'll have fun. Hopefully all you all can come with us to the beach. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Oh, Lord. We ask that you would help us to see ourselves that we are crucified with Christ. We're buried with him in baptism. And also, Lord, resurrected with him into a new life. Sin and Satan no longer have control over us. Sometimes we give them that power, that authority in our lives. Help us to remember these things, Lord. And you want to put our lives on public display. Make a public spectacle of them. As Satan no longer is in control of our lives. 
And Lord, I know that this applies not just for a baptism, but for daily living on our jobs, in our families, at home, at school, when we travel around, wherever we are, from Queens or New York City to the ends of the earth. You want us to go on public display for you, showing that you are the Lord of our lives. Thank you for your holy conviction upon our hearts. And Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, please empower each of us that we can live our lives dedicated to you, following you. Help us, empower us, for we ask in the mighty name, the name above all names, in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.